Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined by Tom Kennett. And for this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the newly released Amazon documentary, Arsenal All or Nothing. We're on to our second week now of the released Arsenal All or Nothing episode. So we're on to episode for TK, I don't know if I was more excited or less excited after seeing last week's episodes. I guess we kind of surmised that we were through a patch of negativity last week, and so these would maybe be more positive. Mm. Didn't really feel like that when I was watching <laughs> the back. <laughs> it's up and down. It's peaks and troughs, isn't it? Yeah, I'd actually forgotten quite how many lulls there were through the season. Like When you look back on it and when the way people kind of explain it is Arsenal were brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And then we lose to Tottenham and Newcastle and we don't get top four when there's far more ups and downs and like Arteta out, Arteta in the whole way through the season that I'd actually forgotten about some of these. Yeah. They really accentuate that in these three episodes that have just been released as well. Yeah. I did think you had done dirty by the fact they basically stretched this Everton loss over the end of the last episode and the start of this. What? That's a yeah. tough break. They, they showed the team talk to open the episode and it really <laughs> confused me as to what game it was from. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I literally I rewound it back. I watched this first episode on my uh, break at lunch, which is a lot harder trying to take notes and watch it on your <laughs> phone at the same time. I need a sandwich, um, which I was dying for at that point. Um, but the theme really of the first two episodes is Aubameyang and getting him out of the club. So mm. the first significant thing that we have in episode four is we hear that Aubameyang has been late for training. Mm. Arteta's doing an interview about Aubameyang. He says, I thought it was interesting. He says, that he made some compromises with Aubameyang when he when he chose to extend his deal. I don't know what those were. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I had just taken that to mean I'm not going to go too hard on you for things like lateness. And, mm. But you've just done this so many times, I basically have no choice. But it's a good point, yeah. I wonder what compromises are I wonder that entails. If- I wonder if maybe we were going to go full rebuild even earlier and we had a younger striker in mind because remember there was all the links to Tammy at the time. Mm. Maybe that was the plan and we were going to move on and we were going to replace Oba with Abraham and that was going to be the deal. And I mean, we'll get on to, but if that's the case, someone should have told uh, Edu and that Richard Garnett because they were not in on the plan if that's the case. No, No, but it is very interesting because... What I don't feel from Arteta here is so much as him saying it was the wrong move to extend his contract, which hindsight is a wonderful thing. I think there was probably less than 15% of Arsenal fans that saw ahead and said, look, we've had some good times here. Now's the time to move on. After the high of that FA Cup final, it was few and far between for people that did actually think we should let this guy leave on a free because I'm well aware Arsenal would have been the banter club if he had left on a free as well, just so much as they were when they had to eventually get rid of him. 
yeah, I, I think you've been probably too generous for giving fifteen percent. I, I wouldn't say that many. Prior to that contract, he was banging form, one of the elite strikers in the world. You had yeah. to get him tied down. It, it it really did start to tail off after that. Now we weren't privy to behind the scenes. Maybe he had, had a few instances of turning up late. Maybe not trying hard enough in training. I there imagine was, probably all of the above, but it seemed to get significantly worse after the contract. There was that North London derby incident, wasn't there, in that season, where he was late and he's dropped from the team and Aubameyang, yeah. not Aubameyang, and Lacazette scores a penalty and we win the game 2-0. And 2-1, sorry. And we kind of accept it because, okay, fair enough. We could put that to the side. He comes straight back in for the next game. Yeah. And then here, the real thing they drive home, and we spoke about this in the week where... I'd heard from an Arsenal journalist that, look, you may be surprised with just how much you see next week. Mm. And I said to you, I'm going to be very surprised if we hear just all the like nuts and bolts of this Aubameyang issue. We, mm. we don't get that, do we? we? We just get a reference to the fact that this absolutely is not the first time. They made that abundantly clear, don't they? Yeah. Um, I thought we probably got a little bit more than I was anticipating, though. I thought we'd get Nothing. I thought they gave us a bit, um, which we'll get into, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I was probably pleasantly surprised with some of that. We got a bit of the drama that I needed. Some of some of my favourite bits of this documentary so far are the bits that are the most candid, and these little short walks that Arteta takes with the press officer <laughs> each time are so good because it seems like this is one of the few people that he can really drop his guard with. And so you it is see like him he on the way. The cameras there as well. Yeah. Well, he says to him, doesn't he? Um, be prepared for what's coming because this is going to explode. I thought that was a uh, that felt like because he almost has like an arm on. I think it was like a veto talking to the undertaker. Like, <laughs> that one day and this day may never come. I'm going to need you to perform a service because he seemed to really be like, right, prepare yourself. It is a whole thing though, isn't it? Because and I won't go into this all now, but there was an article on the Athletic probably right when it first started. And they basically interviewed the press officers about just how much they actually have to do and all the weird and wild requests they get. Yeah. And they almost become a bit of what you'd have as like a showrunner in Hollywood where they just get these wild things. Yeah. And so they really do probably get up close and personal with everyone in the club more than anyone else. And so I guess in the same way as Arteta would be pissed off if, there's a press conference and the press officer doesn't tell him you're going to be in for a rough one here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he's, this is him returning the favour. Yeah, it was, it was a funny one, that wasn't it? Because obviously the rest of the time it's generally the press officer saying, look, they're going to ask about this, 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 be prepared. And it's kind of our t- telling him what he probably already knows on this yeah. occasion. Yeah, because you, you mentioned last week that you thought there was some um, foreshadowing that they were really putting into the documentary with just from focusing in on Aubameyang on certain moments Mm. and really highlighting in maybe not the most subtle way possible that this guy isn't as serious as everyone else in this team. Yeah. And you get this moment of the players have been told and Elneny says to Rob Holding, the boss, the boss has big balls. Rob <laughs> Holding basically having to narrate the whole thing for our men at the yeah. table. <laughs> you can see he does not want to do this. 
And he's just having to sort of like, yeah, yeah, the boss is great. Whilst not trying to look like a snide and throwing his teammate under the bus. Brutal position to have been placed in. That I thought was interesting in the sense that holding, I don't think, is the type to go and snitch. And I'm sure, I mean, I could probably pick out the players I think that would. But (laughs) what I got from that was this is quite a well-known thing around the club that this isn't the first instance of this. And there doesn't seem to be anyone, at least as far as we see, and I'm sure they'd have included it, there's no one going, this is a bit harsh. No, I I do wonder if the players privately may have had some conversations with that. I only say because even little bits like you have a bit like Rams there saying, "Oh, I hope Aubameyang comes yeah. back and stuff." I think probably privately they are all hoping. A lot of them are probably hoping it's it's retrievable because I don't think the flip side to what you said. I don't think you get an impression that anyone's really that pissed off with Aubameyang either. Which no, I do no. think potentially you would probably. If a guy was clearly taking the piss, no matter how good, I think eventually you'd be like, this guy, well, I know he's our best player, but you can't just keep fucking sitting up late and having other privileges. And eventually people will get pissed off. You didn't get that impression either, but... No, but... You, you can see they have to nip it in the bud if it's happening as often as... And it seems we probably have more yeah. going on than, than we probably thought, judging just by certainly how Arteta talks about it at times. Because there, there was there was lessons you'd have at school and you'd obviously be sat by different people in different lessons. And I can think back to certain lessons where I'd have a great time in the lesson because the person I was sat next to, you were just having a hell of a time. But when it came time to do in your homework, you would almost <laughs> acknowledge to yourself, this isn't actually in my best interest to be sat with this person because as great as a time I've having, this isn't helping me in the long run. And there probably is something where if the form just went off a cliff, there may be more of an issue. And we do get moments of that, but it's never too long that the players within the club must say to themselves, as great of a guy as he is to have around, we are actually better off without this. And they all seemingly like and respect Arteta. So there's a battle between them. They're, they're fairly easy whereas if, if he was an unpopular manager pretty quickly I imagine they'd be jumping on the ball you treated the Bamiang unfairly I think some of it that could play into it as well is who the backup is and the fact that Lacazette is very popular clearly the fact that Enketia has Saka and Smith Rowe's favour in particular because they've all grown up together them getting more chances, it's probably tough to be that irritated that he's gone while your mate is benefiting from it to be able to like privately have that conversation and be, be doing that kind of thing. I don't know. It seems like the people that want to still hang around with the Bamiyang are going to be able to still hang around with the Bamiyang. And maybe they do think it's just going to all brush over initially. I imagine you probably would. I imagine you'd probably treat it as a He'll get dropped, and we'll bring him back into the into the fold. But there's only so many times you can do that. <laughs> because I remember, so it's the Southampton game where Arteta does the press conference. At Everton, he's on the bench and he's brought on, as we see, and he was brought off against United, which, as we said, we are quite grateful they didn't show that back on the documentary. 
But I remember getting to the Southampton game and I was sat on my own and I was just trying to like reflect, refresh the time. I was just bored, sat there, sat there. And these Arteta quotes start to come through and you could just hear the conversations in and around the ground. And the general feeling is not uncommon. Lacazette better score here because as bad as he's been, we still trust him to put the ball in the back of the net more than we trust the Frenchman to. Now, it also does help that Aubameyang was stinking the place out. His last start at home at that time was against Newcastle, where he missed that absolute sitter from on the line. And there was a real turn after that. And so I think if this had to happen at a time, it did happen probably at the perfect time for Arteta to still be able to maintain the favour of the players. Yeah, it's a good point. It's not you're not taking out Pico Bamiang here. No. And to be fair, I don't think Arteta would have been able to, so it really would have been interesting to see how he would have handled that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Or is this a, a perfect case in point of was Arteta waiting for look, any sign that a performance yeah. dipping is when I'm gonna say you can't take the piss anymore? Well, it's probably An issue that Arsenal have had previously has been how clicky the dressing room has been. And I guess this documentary shows us that we don't know entirely, but you saw the same people around constantly. And that does seem to have been stopped, even with the Brazilian contingent coming through. Like the fact that I can't pinpoint another Frenchman for Saliba to be around is the most un-Arsenal thing ever at the moment. (laughs) And so when you look at the players that were got rid of that, Gwenduzi, Mustafi, Kalasanac, Ertzil. There was this group of them that all at the same time, the one being booted affected the other, and the Ertzil thing took down Gwenduzi and it took down Kalasanac with it, and so many others. There's a closeness, at least it seems, between this group that you can take one person out, and it doesn't mean that Lacazette's left on his own, it doesn't mean he has no mates left in the team. He's still perfectly all right, he's not being isolated because of this and so maybe some of the work Arteta had done in the dressing room beforehand does then benefit in this moment it does feel like a good group for sure it does feel like a collective because that's where you have uh, Holding says how intense Arteta is he says he keeps people on their toes and you do know that you'll be moved on if you don't meet his expectations Tierney says I did think yeah, in these bits where they're talking about him, holding looked like he was being kept under duress. <laughs> he was he's kind of like a hostage, saying like, "Yeah, they're treating me well." As they're talking down the camera. Well, I think the rest seemed pretty genuine. <laughs> he looks scared. You think of the players that there are in the squad that have been there a significant amount of time. Holding is probably the one who has the most position to protect, in that him and Cedric must feel constantly like they're trying to be replaced. Like it's no secret that we've been constantly trying to bring in better centre-backs than him and we've been looking for a better right-back than Cedric. Mm. And so maybe you're not going to take the same chances that another player might. No, it starts out, it does seem to quite like Cedric in these episodes. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of instances where he seems to like his personality. He he does come across well. I do have a little bit more about him later, actually. Mm. But Tierney says how good he is tactically and... We we spoke about it at the time. Arteta having to defend in his press conference that he's not a dictator. <laughs> it's, it's very good. I, I can see why as a player you'd ride out for Arteta. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it feels very um Hell's Kitchen where Ramsey gives you enough <laughs> abuse that when he pats you on the back, they're like, This is the best thing I've ever felt in my life. Yeah. And that's, I don't think you ever look at it and think he's being severe on the players other than when they've deserved it in like yeah. after a loss or whatever. In general, everything seems uh, absolutely fair in terms of what, what he puts out. What do you say about the, um, the journalist thing? Even when uh, there's a like journal on this where he goes, like, are you doing this? You're a young manager. Are you just doing yeah. this to stamp your euphoria? I thought, what a fucking question. Very patronising, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but then I'll tell her afterwards. Goes like, yeah, I think he called him Mark. I can't remember what his name was. Yeah, but Mark's got a point. That's a fair question. I was like, that wasn't a fucking <laughs> fair question. What the hell are you talking? How is he gonna? You can't do this as a way of stamping your authority and then declare that this is a way of stamping your authority. It no. doesn't really work. I, I think there's a real issue with um, a lot of the journalists that you do get on there, and there's there's one, and it's I a bit too comfortable like... to me. I always feel like I'm angling for an athletic sponsorship or something here. <laughs> but there's a guy that covers Arsenal for the athletic, um, Art de Rocher, his name is, if I may have pronounced that wrong. But the questions I see him asking, and it's asking like uh, the tactical requirements of Tommy Asu and how you can share those instructions to someone that's Japanese and Portuguese effectively and get them to understand this and what do you expect from your left fullback compared to your right fullback. And just something that, we can actually take an interest in. And I think when you probe Arteta in the right way, he has shown in the past that he is willing to give you a deep and detailed answer. Just so many of these are just simple defensive bat away. And they know they're going to get that answer before they even ask it. Yeah. Yeah, it's jumping through hoops, isn't it? Predominantly. The worst to see is that awful moose that you see in uh, (laughs) the later one, Mr. Tuna Pancakes. Now that. You can't see the man without thinking of the tuna pancakes. Oh. I wish I could send you... Uh, I often message uh, Connor, West Ham Connor, about him. I wish I could read out the message he sent me about him, but it wouldn't be one for the airwaves, so I'll have to it's send that to you after. Yeah. Um, Edu, then, you hear all this about how stressed out Arteta is. And then Edu's going, you know, I'm just so stressed out in this job. I mean, it's not in it's not in this one. It's more start of episode five when they're talking about the transfer window. Yeah. But he seems massively inconvenienced by the fact that he's going to have to be busy in January. <laughs> seems really put out by that. Well, he said, because I think it's episode four where they ask him Basically, about... The Aubameyang one, yeah, he says... He basically asks, what, what does your job entail? And he basically has to start making himself look a bit busy. <laughs> well, I also imagine your life is more difficult when all of your business doesn't just go through one super agent. When you actually do have to do you more... you got to do some work, yeah. And just invite a bloke into your office for put your feet up once a week. It probably is a bit more difficult. But the good side of Edu that we do see is with Martinelli. Mm. And we get the more personable side of him and probably the side as to why... William signed for us. Jesus has signed for us. Gabriella signed for us. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that's what's keeping him in a job. It's like yeah. you said, contacts and the fact that people seem to like him. Yeah, because I mean, I always say about he does just enough to kind of cling to power. But the Brazil thing is is obviously the massive thing, and I remember there being a lot of excitement when he was coming to Arsenal because any time an ex-player is coming to work at your club. 
we kind of put to the side how good you might be. I mean, people are clamoring for him to be replaced with Mark Overmars, and we hasn't aged well now. But we also weren't sure <laughs> just how great he was doing in Holland. But it was, well, let's get rid of this Arsenal player and bring in another one. Yeah. And there well, was no I mean, real thought behind it other than that. There was a genuine push for, like, an Henri Burkamp management. Yeah, partnership. yeah. I mean, there's no basis on which to have this other than their legendary players. I remember there being an article, and I think it was on uh, that Gold Deportes in Brazil or whatever it is, and it was an opinion piece, and they were basically reeling off how horrific Edu is his job. <laughs> and this was managing an international setup. And I remember seeing it and kind of pausing for a moment and thinking, okay, that's just one person's opinion. It may not be that bad. And then over time, it was like, oh, yeah, this bloke isn't fantastic at his job. <laughs> he, he did a pre-season piece um, in The Athletic. And he was like, look, sometimes you just have to pay players off. He's like, once you get over 27... You're dead as a player. Nobody wants you. And you better to just pay these people off. So, well, I see other teams getting money for these players. But look, Eddie wants to keep his hair clearly. And that's what it takes. We will um, explore that a little bit in the, is it episode five or episode yeah. six. He starts doing this because I've, I've got a lot to say on that. That, that blows <laughs> yeah. my mind. That whole thing is well, remarkable. I thought the biggest shame really in this documentary so far has been how little we're able to hear from some players just because of the strength of their English. Because you see like uh, Gabriel, centre-back Gabriel, Gabriel uh, Magalash, mm. he seems like a real character that we don't really get to see too much from. Not, certainly not yet, have we? No. No, I saw Smith Rowe did an interview recently and I think it was with Lab Bible or something. And he was asked who the leaders are and who the funniest people are. And Gabrielle's name just kept coming up in all of these conversations, right down to who's the guy that uses the most emojis. But it was just like, he's involved in everything. Mm. And we don't quite get that coming across here just because I know it's improved, but he clearly doesn't feel comfortable enough with his English. And that's why it's quite nice. This little bit that we get with Martinelli, just explaining where he's come from. And there's a real effort, and I think we can speak about it more in the next one with Jacket. But there seems to be a real effort, almost from within the club, to just express in every single interview how human these people are, and just to try and make them seem like normal people more. And I feel like that's been a really conscious effort because almost yeah. every player has said, we don't play for money, we love the fans, and it's almost just the same thing we're getting over and over. And it may be true, but it does feel like a conscious decision. Yeah, it definitely feels like a conscious decision. Um, the cynic in me wants to say that's also so that whenever things go wrong, you hey, look, remember, we're human beings as well. Because <laughs> yeah. every now and again, there's a sort of, you know, Sometimes they just, they boo you. They want you to die. <laughs> oh God, yeah, that's pretty yeah. bad actually. Because when it comes from Martinelli, there isn't a part of me that doesn't believe him when he says, Look, money, good, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it blows my mind when I do see it. Uh, there was a pre-season video they did with the three Gabbies and Cedric's there as well. Um, and just hearing his English and hearing Fabio Vieira's English when he says how bad his is and just the strength of it and the, the words that he's using it 
it gives you another level of respect for these people that do move over here and do this because I mean, we did languages for several years at school and you're ultimately taught to pass an exam. But even still, I wasn't speaking anywhere near that level of fluidity that they are after a couple of months. No. <laughs> There's one bit where Arteta is speaking to Martinelli in training and the translation goes, uh, and then go like the clackers. I, like, I <laughs> bet it didn't say that. <laughs> you know, like things don't translate perfectly, so someone's going to have to yeah. land on. But what would this translate as? They've gone with that like, that is not what he said. Is, has Martinelli been maybe the most simple one? Like, I've not learnt anything about him that I didn't assume already. Like, I could have said none of this. And just the quotes like, he trains every day like it's his last day on earth. Hearing the confidence they have on him, but acknowledging that he does need time. Everything, you could have just put that in writing and I could have pictured it entirely. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty... I don't want to be critical. That's fairly superficial on that basis. There isn't much, you know, like you said, we're not being educated here. We're kind of yeah, uh, being told stuff we already suspected. That bit with Steve Round talking, I don't know about something like Steve Round really riled me at that point. I don't know why. <laughs> but he was just kind of like talking to Edu, like no one knew about Martinelli. And he's like, this guy <laughs> really good. It's like, Steve, we all know that, right? You're not teaching us anything. So that's what I was about to say. A lot of it's spoken about almost like it's just assumed by everyone else, like the way everyone else speaks about Martinelli is how we would think. So we just, we already know mm. this. And it's them saying it like, well, of course, like, of course he's good. Of course he yeah. trains like this. But it was nice to see that side of him. And then it does fit in well. And that's obviously intentional for the run that he goes on over Christmas, where he gets, what, three and two games against West Ham and Leeds. That West Ham game, I forgot how massive that felt. Mm, yeah and we see some of the game not too much I think they miss out the West Ham penalty they miss out a few bits and that's a theme throughout these episodes but (laughs) the bit that stood out for me was Ben White in Party's face after the game telling him he's different gravy and he clearly has no idea (laughs) what on earth that means (laughs) yeah (laughs) and he said it slow like no understand this you different gravy (laughs) <laughs> yeah to a to a non-english speaker that must be so odd as well because you'd probably look it up and you'd be like crazy what the hell's this got to do yeah. <laughs> and we we spoke last week about the different sides of arteta coming out he felt like a fan to me after this game he's so fired up that he just had to do something and it's probably if you sent me troy any arsenal fan i know after that game and we had to go around the room telling all these players what we thought of them. It would pretty much be similar to what Artessa's doing when he's getting right in Saka's face, like he's going to belt him one, going, how many balls did you win? That was so good. Yeah, that was great. And Saka's even flinching. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't Saka go try and answer him as well? Yeah. He wasn't looking for an actual answer, but you're all right. Yeah, that, that, that was really good. And it was another one of those moments that just ties in with the start of the episode and knowing why these players are willing to stand by him in these tough moments because for all of these tough times there there never has felt like the players are giving up on the manager or throwing the manager under the bus when they've had opportunities to in the same way that they did with Unai Emery, Freddie Lundberg and even with Wenger. Yeah, I don't as much as this is just a natural reaction to it. like you said he's almost like a fan in terms of being buzzing and excited. 
But those that's when I think you see the best of Arteta and the most natural. There's nothing being put on here. This is just it was some of the stuff obviously does feel a little uh he's coming up with ideas and trying to motivate them, but in it you see just a raw sort of celebration. I think that's probably what keeps the players on side at all times, yeah. I think, because you think that is where you go, yeah, I'd, I'd want to play for this guy. And I do think it probably means you'll put up with some of his stuff. Well, I mean, is it before this game where he does the journey versus the destination thing? Um, I'm not sure. And I was squirming when I was yeah, seeing I think drawing, it may be. drawing that road on there. And he's putting journey. I was like, I know exactly what you're going to do here. Because like, Lacazette it, gives him the wrong answer, doesn't he? Yeah, I was about to say, I was thinking, he definitely wants Lacazette to say the journey. And then because he says destination, he has to think on his feet and he goes, uh, it's about the company you're in. It's not about the journey or the destinations. He definitely was just going to say the journey and lack has fucked him. Well, that... Uh... Like, why do you need to draw that, though? Is that we get it. <laughs> journey and destination is fine. You don't have to draw this for us. He needs to draw at all times. We'll be speaking about it next week, but the coming soon for next week blew my mind, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. But something that we, I guess we can even point out now is the team talks when the team is in good form are so much more normal. It's like he has to pull one of these out the bag yeah, when yeah. he's really trying to get a reaction, whether it's good or bad. And I do think the response to the Leicester game where people are just laughing and joking about it afterwards, but they get the win probably in his head is giving him free reign to go and do whatever he fancies in future. Yeah. Like, yeah. The thing is, the more it works, the more he's going to do it, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, I will say, whenever he starts, he walks into the dressing room on this, I get excited. I'm thinking, right, what's coming up? <laughs> yeah. So the players must do as well, I guess. Yeah. Um, we then move into this kind of Christmas time slash COVID segment. Uh, the, the way the, they frame this, by the way, is, is fantastic. What, get, like, just on a good run, Omicron hits. <laughs> like, what, oh, that yeah. bloody virus targeting Arsenal's league campaign. I do, I do remember thinking this because it was annoying because we hadn't had <laughs> these patches previously. Mm. I thought because they don't cover the Spurs cancellation, which, I mean, I spoke to Sean, he wasn't too bothered, but there are some Spurs fans online that are furious about this, but uh, are genuinely losing their minds. <laughs> they... I was yeah. I, I doubt they were going to cover that. I'll be honest. No, I mean there is a thread of the moments that were missed out of the Spurs one, including them going out of the cup to Colchester. By the way, um, oh blimey! But, yeah, but they they very conveniently forgot on that. And thus winning the FA Cup doesn't get covered either. Um, Don't have to cover that. That's okay. But I thought them putting in the club doctor saying how much everyone wants to keep going. Um, was their little answer to the suspended game segment in like, look, this is what the club was saying. And I've no doubt when it comes to the Spurs game in the final episode, they're just going to do it then. Like they don't need to do it twice. They're obviously going to call back and say Spurs felt aggrieved at the cancellation. Yeah. In January. <laughs> yeah. It's just, they're not going to pay much attention to it, are they? They're going to be no. like, oh, it was rearranged. And if you didn't know why, maybe you might not even know. It might well, it happened, be fully explored. It happened while the training ground was shut as well. So also, there isn't going to be much they they would have filmed. No, no. I think the total probably lack of reference to it probably yeah. makes it more conspicuous <laughs> by its absence, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, then we just got this little Christmas segment. Saka going around handing out presents just adds again 
Yeah. <laughs> I, that looked like it looked like a fancy bottle of spirits. It must have been. I, I wasn't dreaming there. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. I was um, that must have cost an absolute fortune. The amount he's dishing out. Not that he's not on a decent wage, but compared to some of the other players, I mean. <laughs> Maybe Lacazette should have been the one dishing these out. <laughs> Odegaard, if you listen to Tony. Yeah. Uh, we've not heard much from Odegaard, and I was really hoping we no. would. And not yet, certainly. The uh, Gabriel, this was a rare bit where we saw him trying to get some English out, and he ends up saying that he cleans the booties. <laughs> Because you see him confused when Saka's going, are you remembering the coaching staff? And he's like, what do you do? And he's like, the booties. <laughs> Clean the booties. <laughs> and then that Leeds game, that was a mad weekend. I, I forgot that we were the only game on. Yeah. Christ. I mean, it nearly, it nearly fucked Leeds in the long run. But mm. they decide to play the game and... I mean, they don't include much of it. I don't think they needed to. We got Martinelli. Everyone was very excited at this point with him as a centre forward. And uh, that lovely little pass, they have a great angle. And I said this last week, the low angle they film all of the kind of match moments in, like it's in a film. Them having the little dinked pass, Erdegaard gives Smith Rowe. uh, That angle was so nice. Yeah, sensational. I think you see these Smith Rowe goals and people have forgotten, Arsenal fans included, how good he is. Like, you don't hit 10 league goals as a teenager if you aren't a special player. And I think it also does highlight to some Arsenal fans that we don't have to pick a side between him and Martinelli. Like, they can both just be very good players in the same way that people are doing this with Ben White and Saliba. We should just Mm. be happy that we have the two of them in our squad. You'll do that and then question why you don't have any depth if you yeah. don't do it. Just, yeah, that's fun we, for you. We get into this Man City game then. Oh. Uh, having to go hurt. back to work after watching this again. Oh, yeah. I so, I was so fired up. Yeah, <laughs> that's a tough note to go out on. Um, the preparation for the game looked pretty bleak. Um, <laughs> the players looked more shook by Arteta having COVID than they did Aubameyang being let go as captain from... And banned from training, by the way. I thought that yeah. Gabriel looks so shook. I was going to say, they had a great poker face when he uh, released the, uh, the uh, Aubameyang news, didn't he? Not one of them broke. Oh. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, they did seem shook by him having COVID. And then it's uh, Stoivenberg, isn't it? Whose accent caught me off guard, to be honest, hearing more from him. And in that moment, and it's not really a slight on him because he's obviously acknowledged this himself at some point. I could see the difference between a coach and a manager because yeah, it's, yeah. he was just kind of yelling the instructions out, but there was nothing compared to even just the way the players pay attention when Arteta's saying it. Like the players just seem very down and almost sulking. And maybe we see there the trust they have in Arteta that they do seem so kind of off-put just by the fact that he wasn't going to be there with them. Yeah, they definitely do try and demonstrate that in the documentary as well, I think. They really do play on the fact that... Which is odd, because obviously Arteta's not gone for that long. <laughs> if you kind of look at yeah, it, you'd be, oh, God, three, is he, it's about three days. Is he like hospitalised and he's not going to be here for ages, by the way. It's sort of the drama that's added to it. But yeah, you are right. There's 
different aura about a coach and a manager, isn't there? Even yeah. just you can just kind of feel it. Not the same leadership. He, his team talk was pretty good over Zoom. I thought <laughs> it did break me. He had the tactics board set up. Anyone yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> had one in his office as well, didn't yeah. he? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the players. I was thinking this is a really good team talk. And it's fine for the team because they're going up the pitch. It must be really odd for him having just done that and then yeah. probably going to sit on my couch now. Well, he said, like, I'm going to be shaking my TV. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm surprised the TV survived the end of that game. Something, something I didn't know if, if you could recall. He said in his speech, at 3-0, they brought on Mares to humiliate us. Blimey. And yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't remember anything specific in... That early game, whether Mares, there was a reason he wasn't playing or, or what it was. I remember the most humiliating thing about that day was Ferran Torres scored a header. <laughs> but I even rewound it to make sure I'd heard it correctly. And I don't know what it was about bringing on Mares. But there was clearly something in it. I don't know. I don't think he's shit. He's like, they're bringing on Mares. <laughs> no, I, I assume it's. Arteta is saying, look, they already, they already win. And, they already, yeah. and they're bringing on this guy to try and make it uh, a proper humbling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was horrible. Um, just the decision, <laughs> again, I just I forgot how horrible those decisions were. The Martinelli open goal, I'd never seen that angle before. They oh. didn't have that one on TV because oh. it looked so much worse. That hurts. And... Xhaka, I thought there was a lot of parts about this Xhaka red cards that were particularly interesting. Um, for one, I always assumed they just scrambled straight to watch the game. And he seemed like the fact he was off, he almost just needed a moment to disassociate himself from it. Mm. Because they say that the game's on in the doctor's room and he kind of takes a moment and he sits there. And that's a theme with the other players when they're sent off um, in later episodes. Um, I'm not is sure it, if I'm... Is it Gabriel or Xhaka in this game? It is, sorry, sorry, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it is Gabriel in this game. That's my mistake. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry. You, you end up having a few across these episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I, went, yeah. Uh, I was thinking, I was feeling full uh, Roy Keane at this because I was going, why hasn't he gone in there and smashed the place up? <laughs> and I, I was, was waiting for that with all thinking. of them. Yeah, I was thinking he's going to go and smash the place up. But he was kind of the absolute... If he was trying to be the stereotype of the modern player, he couldn't have done it any better because he's gone in, not smashed it up, and then gone straight on his phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, 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 it was like he was checking the reaction or whatever, or, or probably family members messaging him. But I forgot just how bad those decisions were. Like The, the Gabriel so one. piss was boiling watching it. He books him for complaining about a penalty, which we... like. I mean, United are the easy one, but you can do this. A City, that entire game, we're at it. And then afterwards, just the re the reaction of the players, I thought. There's a lot of critique leveled at Xhaka, and we'll speak more about that in the next episode. But if anyone can say he doesn't care, oh no, just no. his reaction after that game, I wondered about how you thought Arteta dealt with the loss. Because he's very positive, isn't he? And I think the Arsenal fans were. And I wondered if you expected that from him, if you thought that was the right way to go. Because there's a yeah. whole thing, isn't there, about show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. Hmm. And I didn't know if you thought anything about that or if at the stage Arsenal are, that it is 
that well to be playing as well as that well against Man City. Yeah, because on the surface of it, that would probably be the take. But I actually think, and weirdly, obviously because he wasn't there, he's read the room well, that I think they probably needed a lift after it because of the nature of how you lost. Uh, I think if you're going and hand the players or, you know, I don't think that would work. So I think that is probably one aspect of his management that uh, I think has been enhanced by this documentary is knowing sort of when to pick the players up and when to knock them down. He seems to have a decent gauge on that. Because um, he so makes, far anyway, he makes one little comment in in the speech where he says, um, "Now there were mistakes and there are things that we can do better and things that if we do do better, we can kill the game off and we can ensure this doesn't happen." Mm-hmm. But the performance as a whole, I'm very proud of you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The best team in the world does seem to change regardless of whether we're playing Liverpool or City. <laughs> yeah, it's flexible. I think it probably is fair to be fair <laughs> the way the season was going, but. Yeah, kind of like it, the boxing, pound for pound number one. It's yeah. depended on who, whichever the British fighter is fighting this time. <laughs> yeah. Pound for pound number one every time. It it was it was rough watching that. Um, particularly, I was furious knowing how the season ended. Going, oh, this, <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. where it all went wrong for him. <laughs> yeah. This was it. Well, I, I remember Rodri being pelted when he celebrated in front of the Arsenal fans, and I've not really looked at him the same since then. And it just reminded me of the "Did you cry when Rodri scored?" chance, which were unfortunately stuck in my head and were stuck in my head again. So there we go. Yeah, but I, I, I was I was watching the end of that thinking, just what a bastard team Man City is, but basically kind of get off scot-free because yeah. the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of <laughs> logic. Basically, it's just always been applied to City, whether it was up against United or now Liverpool. What? They're just always going to be sort of somehow the neutral team. Yet kind of everything that we basically... The two most hated teams we were probably United and Chelsea for constantly winning. Um, they would get the late goal against the run of play. They would sort of break your heart. And Chelsea obviously got the uh, state for being new money, basically, yeah. and becoming an overnight success. City fit the bill for everything that was leveled against United and Chelsea. Somehow seemed to get away with it. I was just watching this game, because you really are a group of bastards. Well, I remember- just get on scot free. The reaction I remember after this game was essentially, and myself, I can look at it back in a group chat, all Arsenal fans are like, well, I hope Liverpool win the league now because that is disgusting. They've cheated their way in. They've got three <laughs> yeah. points. And you start retrospectively looking back and going, and they got this that was a cheat. They got that that was a cheat, et cetera, et cetera. And the issue was, and in uh, terms of fairness, I guess, they don't cover the Liverpool uh, dodgy COVID tests uh, later on in the next episode. That is all I thought in mind. But we almost got a flip there where I think in the response to that, because, I mean, Ben White celebrating just sent Liverpool fans into another stratosphere. <laughs> Suddenly, a lot of Arsenal fans realised, well, actually, this lot are pretty bad as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's, power, it's testament to the power of our fan base that you can be robbed blind by a team and still want them to win a league. Yeah. It's rough, but... Uh, it was also a rough way to end the episode. and uh, It really was. Yeah, they, they, you never go... These episodes are either going to be a, a really bum note to end on or a really high one. It's never anything in between. Yeah. But after all that, I mean, d- decent episode. And then... Uh, from we, I will say, from the jump of this episode, <laughs> even Arteta is doing his non-negotiables bit down the camera before the credits cut in. Even that is somehow a bit... Sort of Brent saying I don't give shitty jobs sort of vibe to it <laughs> but it, it is 
really uh it's really good but the whole way he does it he just i'm still waiting for him to sort of crack at some point well just as we end this episode edu has just put on his instagram that he's had a t-shirt arrive with arteta's passion clarity energy and arsenal fc drawing on <laughs> so <laughs> i'm sure he's gonna be winding him up and wearing that into training so have you seen much of the interviews with our Teta, because he a, a couple of things were referenced post Palace where they would say like uh, we saw previously that your team talks were like this, blah blah blah, and he seems so embarrassed. So, if there was an accusation that perhaps he was acting up for the cameras, he either regrets it or he did a good job of just pretending they weren't there because he does seem genuinely bashful that he can't believe the cameras have captured some of this. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you decide which way around you think that is. 